On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in another week of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski. We're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network, and I hope everybody enjoyed their weekend. Although, for being frank, it was probably a tough weekend to enjoy if you spent a whole lot of time watching the New York Mets take on the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I keep coming back to these sort of talking points of, oh, well, how bad can it get for the Mets? Is it rock bottom for the Mets? I'll save you the trouble. That's not going to be the title of our particular podcast. Here's what I wonder with the Mets. What in God's name are they going to do on the West Coast? Take it on the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Giants again. Well, at least the Giants the second time around will be back at City Field. Doesn't matter if the Mets are home, road, period. They've been awful for two months. Awful. The Mets lost a couple of brutal games on Friday and Saturday, games they could have won. Here's my problem. The moral victories that are being celebrated from the manager to players on this particular team, it's tough to take. And if I'm a Mets fan, I'm telling you point blank, wouldn't sit well with me. I don't want to hear moral victories when you've allowed the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies to make up about like seven and a half games in a span of six weeks. I don't want to hear about, oh, well, we were right there. Our lineup's going to come around, blah, blah, blah. And I get there's only so much that these individual players can tell you. But here's what I know about the Mets. They don't score runs. Saturday night, they wasted six no-hit innings from Taiwan Walker. They failed to capitalize on some suspect Dave Roberts decisions on Friday night's game. Will Smith is killing them. I mean, how many big home runs did Will Smith have over the weekend? He had one on Friday night. He had one on Saturday. He added another one on Sunday. 
And with the way things are going for the Mets, when they lost an extra innings on Friday night, and then they proceed to lose an extra innings on Saturday night, Scherzer on the mound against Carrasco, you're expecting the Dodgers to drop the hammer. And that's exactly what they did. They went 14-4. They pound Carlos Carrasco. Pound him. The Mets are basically putting up a goose egg with runners in scoring position with opportunity after opportunity to try to get back in the game. And the Dodgers remind you of why they're one of baseball's best teams, if not baseball's best team. And the Mets, a team that's kind of spinning their wheels, going nowhere fast. And I get the built-in excuse. No Francisco Lindor. They haven't been as good when he's been out of the lineup. That's obvious, even though he's having a rough year. Different team when he plays. Different energy when he plays. DeGrom's the ultimate game changer, and they haven't had him. But they should not be this bad. They shouldn't be this bad. And I'm looking at this particular week where they go and play two and five against the Giants and the Dodgers. We could be saying the division is getting to the point where it's out of reach. Fair or unfair, that could be our narrative because the Braves and Phillies get hot and they rattle off a bunch of wins in a row. Well, then all of a sudden you're looking at the month of September and it gets late early. Even if you got a bunch of games with the Marlins and the Nationals, it gets late early. Mets don't hit. And this has been, you know, a seven, eight week type of ordeal. This is not a small sample size anymore, folks. What are you going to go nuts that Michael Conforto got a couple of hits over the course of the weekend? That's going to, you know, tickle your fancy. Look up and down the lineup. Who is hitting consistently? Never expected this to be the case for the Mets. You want to tell me there were concerns about this team? Sure. Offensively, I didn't see where the issues were going to be and where the problems were going to be. Still waiting. Still waiting for the Mets to score a couple of runs this weekend. Could have changed the entire feel and narrative of the weekend if you win a couple extra inning games. They didn't. So why am I supposed to believe that now come Next week, on the road, no less, against the Giants and the Dodgers, that's going to change? If you're betting on it on what? August the 16th. You're betting on the Mets to be on the outside looking in when it comes to the postseason. These narratives can change. But from what you've seen over the last seven, eight weeks, tell me why I should think differently. The Mets don't hit. They don't hit with runners in scoring position. They don't have DeGrom. They have no update on DeGrom. But yeah, all of a sudden, magic is going to happen, and they're going to find their way to the playoffs. They got outclassed, outworked, whooped Sunday night, and get swept over the course of the weekend. I don't want to hear moral victories. That sounded like Dodgers Stadium at City Field. How about the fact that Dodgers have won 13 of their last 14 games at City Field? That's pretty crazy. It's the reason why the Dodgers the last few years have been the class of the National League. They showed you that over the weekend. Now, for my beloved New York Yankees, and the last time we had a conversation via podcast form, I was a little beaten down after the Zach Britton meltdown 
losing in the ninth inning. What could have been win of the year ends up being a nominee for worst loss of the year. But once again, the Yankees get off the mat. They get off the mat on Saturday. They get off the mat on Sunday. And Saturday, listen, Saturday was going to be Meltdown City because they have all the drama. Judge, go ahead, Homer. Ninth inning, one-run lead. They go to Green. Green doesn't throw a fastball. Abreu turns it around for a game-tying home run. And I'm like, here we go again. Here we freaking go again. And then the Yankees score a bunch more runs in the top half of the 10th inning, but yet you have no confidence anybody can get an out. Brayton clearly couldn't. Brayton went into Aaron Boone the other day and said, hey, I can't close anymore. I shouldn't be closing because I'm not doing the job. How the manager or the pitching coach or somebody within the Yankees doesn't see that and they need Britain to tell them, beyond me, and it should tell you something about Britain. If Britain is telling you he can't close games, well, hold on a second now. Why am I supposed to believe that Zach Britton is going to be able to get big outs at the end of games in tight situations? You almost got to treat him like a Raldis Chapman where you got to build him back up. That's kind of the way I would view Zach Britton. The problem is the Yankee bullpen doesn't have a lot of answers. They survived that on Saturday. And on Sunday, hey, how about Nesta Cortez? You think about unheralded, unsung heroes of the 2021 season. Nesta Cortez is moving his way up the ranks for the New York Yankees against one of the best hitting teams in the American League. Cortez, fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Six innings, one run baseball, striking out seven. Cortez on a year is pitching to a two and a half ERA. And he's had some big starts for the Yankees. That Sunday night game against the Mets. He had a big game a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's evading me against. Uh, it was a bunch. He's had a bunch of good games. I'm trying to think of the other good start he's had. He has a bunch. He's had a bunch. I'm, I'm losing track. The Astros game. There we go. Pitched really, really well against the Astros. And then, of course, the White Sox going to win this series. Fabulous. Fabulous game from Cortez. And to me, he's got to keep getting starts. With Severino, nowhere to be found. Setback with his rehab. Heaney is an out-and-out disaster. I'd rather see Cortez remain in the rotation. The Yankee offense does enough. Odor homers. My favorite son, Luke Voigt, ends up homering. I hope he enjoys his final couple of days at first base. Anthony Rizzo cannot get back soon enough. But in the ninth inning of this game, you got to survive Litke. Wandy Peralta does a fabulous job getting out of trouble. And the Yankees win two out of three against one of the best teams in the American League. Think about this for a minute. The Yankees have played great against the White Sox and the Astros this year. The Yankees are 4-2 against Houston. They easily could have been 6-0. The Yankees are 5-1 and one against the Chicago White Sox. And guess what? They also easily could have been 6-0. They held serve this weekend. You knew the Red Sox were going to have an easy time with the Orioles. They pounded them. You got a little bit of cooperation and help from Seattle against Toronto and Texas taking on Oakland. Well, now the stage is set. The Yankees will play their biggest series of the year. Tuesday, Wednesday, three games in two days against the Red Sox. First, you got to get through the Angels. And I have to admit, and I was going back and forth with our buddy Jack Curry over at Yes, 
I don't get the logic of the Yankees starting Cole on Monday night. And I think the point Jack Curry was trying to make to me is that, well, he's your ace. He's ready to go get him out there. I don't see it that way. You're playing seven inning games. Cole is probably max giving you six innings anyway. Get him out there for Boston. Those games matter a lot more because of the heads up potential. You gain a game, they lose a game. Like, I'm in love with that possibility. I would have had Cole going in one of these two games. The Yankees beg to differ. We'll go and win it on Monday and then find a way to take two out of three against Boston this week. Luis Hill will be pitching in one of the games. Jordan Montgomery will be pitching the nightcap. Go and find a way to win two out of the three. The Yankees, to their credit, they have had gut punch after gut punch after gut punch in this 2021 season. But this is a team that keeps getting off the mat. It's not easy. Every game is a struggle. Every game requires Pepto-Bismol. But they find a way. Like Wandy Peralta working out of trouble in the bottom half of the ninth inning, inducing a double play. The Yankees, they just simply find ways to sucker you back in. So I am completely suckered back in. 19 wins since the All-Star break. Tied for most in all baseball? Bring on this week. Let's freaking go. I see you at the stadium Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Big week for yours truly. Now, before we hit our buddy Danny Heifetz, we had our first Jet Giant preseason game. And listen, from a Giant standpoint, no Daniel Jones, no Saquon Barkley, not the Giant team in any way that you're envisioning. Week one against Denver. Week five against whoever. Like, you expect the Giants to look a lot different than they got in this preseason spot. Here's the concern. The offensive line got absolutely mauled. They got mauled by the Jet defensive front. And does that scare me with Von Miller and company staring you in the face in week one and knowing the sort of pass rush that the Washington football team's bringing to the table? Yeah. It's a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones. But it is also a year in which... The giant offensive line has got to step up. And they don't have a lot of depth. And they don't have a lot of answers. And can they be the unit they were throughout the month of November last year? Not the unit we saw at the beginning and the end of the 2020 season. It's one of the major, major questions you have going in. And that question, to some degree, was on full display in week one of the preseason. Now, from a Jets standpoint, everybody was wondering about Wilson. And I don't go nuts with quarterbacks and how they look in a preseason game one way or the other. I needed to see confidence. And the good news for Jet fans, I saw confidence from Zach Wilson in his first preseason game. He did not look overwhelmed. The pocket presence looked fine. The decision-making looked fine. Made a couple of nice throws. You saw a couple of scoring drives stall out. Fine. But some of the reports that you were hearing, oh, he's overwhelmed, he's overmatched, it's this, it's that. From a preseason standpoint, that didn't appear to be the case. Now, that doesn't mean come week one, Zach Wilson's going up against an NFL defense in a game that counts for the first time, and that narrative completely changes. It's all about how Wilson feels going into the start of this year. Can he accelerate through each preseason game where he gets more and more comfortable, where he gets more and more confidence under his belt. And here's what I want to see in the preseason. I want to see some of those maverick, badass type of throws fitting into a tight window. 
fitting it in a double coverage, throwing on the run. Like, I know there are going to be mistakes. It's a rookie quarterback. What rookie quarterback doesn't make mistakes? They all make mistakes to some degree. But you want to see each and every week a couple of plays that make you go, wow, we got something. I'll give you an example. So Josh Allen's first year, and I was not a Josh Allen fan. Anybody who listened to me, I had questions about the accuracy. I had questions about the conference that he played in. I I didn't think Josh Allen was going to be a star NFL quarterback. I was dead wrong. Full disclosure. I did not think he'd be a star. Watched him his rookie year. And there were a couple of games. Allen would make some just asinine decisions. He would throw in triple coverage. He would fumble a ball like he did in the wild card game against the Texans. Just like really stupid shit. But he'd go scramble around for like a 15-second clip, throw a ball off balance 50 yards down the field and complete it. And I'd look, you know, as I'm watching all the games on a screen, what was that? That was special. You started seeing more of that in the second year. And by the time you got to his third year, the confidence was through the roof. Now, it's not to say that Zach Wilson and Josh Allen are going to have the exact, you know, same trajectory and that they're going to be the exact same quarterback. What's the point I'm getting at? You want to see those flashes of wow throughout this year. You want a well-coached team. You want a team that's playing for Robert Sala in the way they were not playing for Adam Gaze, but you want to have those wow moments with the quarterback. And if you have, you know, a handful each and every Sunday, you're on to something. That's the hope for the Jets. We'll welcome in our buddy Danny Heifetz. Voicemails are coming up, and I got to start getting ready for fantasy drafts. So Heifetz better help me out. We'll have Jason Katz later in the week. All that more. It's New York, New York. We'll see if Heifetz likes the Giants to win the division. No one Heifetz? The answer is a resounding no. We'll come right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So before we get to my dude, Danny Heifetz, sometimes... There were audio issues, and my recorder didn't want to cooperate when Danny and I were having some fun. So we're taking the audio through Zoom. Still sounds good, but just an FYI. Danny Heifetz coming up next. So with the first Giant Jet preseason game in the books, really learned absolutely nothing about the Giants. Daniel Jones didn't play. Saquon Barkley didn't play. Just get me to the start of the regular season. That's the way I feel at this time. It feels like year after year after year. You don't want to wish your summer away, but at the same time, we're all amped up and we're all excited for football. So this guy is going to be a big part of what we do throughout the football season. He's on the NFL Ringer, NFL show, whatever the hell they call it. He does the fantasy show. He's a man of many talents, and he's a very disgruntled Giant fan. What's up, Danny Heifetz? How are Disgr- you Disgruntled is the perfect word. I'm disgruntled. Before, I was just gruntled, but now I'm just disgruntled with the Giants. Now, you're not one of these people that puts a whole lot of stock in preseason football. Please. You're too smart, right? Like, There's I, no way no, you're one I, of these guys drooling the results of these preseason games. I don't buy it. 
I don't know if I'm supposed to admit this, but like I didn't watch the fourth quarter that Giants. We well, didn't miss game. anything. Like, I don't, no, what am what I supposed to see? Do? Half the guys who are playing are going to be <laughs> cut. What's the difference? That's exactly. The, I, I don't know. I I, I, I can't. Pretend, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I've never been one of those people. It's like, oh, I'm excited to see how this game ends. Like it's it's fun. I don't know. It's, Honestly, I, I got actually more out of the Saints preseason game because at least Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill played the first half. I can't believe Daniel Jones not playing. Maybe it's because once you can see Mike Lennon get creamed behind the Giants offensive line twice in a row, you're like, oh, maybe that's why I didn't play Daniel Jones. But I want my impression of Daniel Jones going into the season is, you know, he doesn't need any reps whatsoever. I can't believe he didn't play at all. So that bothered you. You were not. I didn't about bother that. me. I, 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 preseason can only bother you unless someone gets hurt. I don't really care. Well, and that's the way I look at it. Basically, I'm watching two in his first game for the Dolphins, and even when he throws a 50 yard pass down the field, I'm just like, please get him out of the game. Please don't get it's, hurt. Please don't get hurt. And, preseason's and the bread before dinner. Preseason, it's free. It's like don't complain about it. Like it's it's free bread. Just you know, don't you, you know, can don't screw eat up the bread it. though. Be honest with me now. You it's can screw be up the bread. If, I actually if you end up going with one of those like. You know, like, eh, what is it? Not even the sourdough, but like the potato bread. Eh, no good. No good. The bread you has to be warm. It's a huge red flag for me at a restaurant if the bread isn't warm. Because it's just that. basic. Like, it shows they care about me. I like that. The key it's to easy. bread is warm bread. I, I like that. That well, might be something we put as a uh, New York, New York staple. Just throwing <laughs> it out there. I'm just saying. Um, so, expectations-wise, Giants, second year with this head coach, played hard for the head coach last year. They weren't particularly good. They couldn't move the ball. The quarterback struggled a ton and threw a ton of interceptions. Do you look at this year, Danny, and say they got to be a playoff team? Do you look at this team and say they've got to have a winning season? Like, what would satisfy Danny Heifetz going into this year? What do you need for years truly? What do you need uh, to make you feel good about the Giants by December or January? Well, who cares what I need? Let's talk about what John Mara needs. I mean, John Mara, who, I mean, basically the guy running this But it's team, not going to be a playoff mandate. No, Mara he, is not going to demand it is, a No, it mandate. is. John Mara. But not, not with this head coach, though. Yes, This head is. coach is not playoffs. Well, John, no I don't think Joe Judge's season's on the line, but John Mara had a very stark in a, uh, press conference earlier this year where he, he, he said over and over again, I'm tired of making excuses. We have to start winning. I am tired of coming up and speaking to you reporters and just explaining and making excuses for why we lost. I mean, JJ, I got bad news for you. Do you know who has the worst record in the NFL over the last four seasons? The Giants. The Giants. That includes the Browns going 0-16. That's the same stretch of football. The Giants are the worst team in football. Like, there's no way to sugarcoat this. I, like, it doesn't feel that way. Because Joe Judge is like a, a, an exciting coach. They have like Saquon. Like there are good pieces on this team. The Giants are the worst team in football over the last four years. They're worse than the Jaguars. They're worse than the Browns. Like they have to, they have to do something. And I think that if they, like, I'm not saying Joe Judge is fired, but just based on what John Mara has said, if the Giants do not at the very least have a winning record this year, I think Gettleman's gone. And then Daniel Jones, if he's not gone, becomes a lame duck quarterback with a new jam. I do think Joe Judge would stay because I think that they play really hard under him. He's been a very impressive coach. But this is a make or break season for Daniel Jones. I think most Giants fans know that. It's a make or break season for, for Dave Gettleman. It's a make or break season for the direction of this franchise. Do you get the sense bringing in Galladay, taking Tony in the first round, the return of Saquon Barkley, they've done enough to surround Jones with pieces for you to say, okay, 
there's enough there. It's time to put up or shut up. Like, I, I don't want to hear he's graded on a curve this year. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, when exactly. you hit the third year, I don't care if you have issues on the offensive line. I don't care if a weapon is out or not. You need to show, okay, it's go time. I'm the franchise. I'm the man. I'm going to take that step forward. You mentioned a lack of excuses. There can't be excuses for this quarterback. I think it's, I, I think I would think of it like this way. The Giants brought in all these receivers. They're hoping that Daniel Jones does the Josh Allen thing, where Josh Allen's, I mean, awful for the first two years, awful in completion percentage, all that stuff. They bring in Stephon Diggs. Josh Allen is second in MVP to Aaron Rodgers. The Bills make the championship game. They're hoping that Daniel Jones has a Josh Allen like turnaround because Kenny Galladay can be Stephon Diggs. Guess what? I think it's a lot closer to Mitchell Trubisky and Allen Robinson in that like Allen Robinson might be good, but that doesn't mean Daniel Jones is a good quarterback. I, they're real. I think that Daniel Jones is a lot closer to Trubisky than it is to Josh Allen. And that ultimately a lot of this is window dressing. There's a lot of problems here. One, the idea that all these skill guys are really good. Yes, they, they are very good. There's also this idea that, hey, look, well, Daniel Jones hasn't gotten to play with all these guys because they're never healthy at the same time. Yeah, well, well Gallaudet's already hurt. Saquon's already got this delayed recovery. Sterling Shepard can never stay on the field. Evan, there's a reason these guys can't stay on the field together. They're all independently injury prone. Two, the offensive line's a goddamn disaster. I, I'm sorry to curse, but it's like this offensive line is a, uh, like, I want to be optimistic individually, but you basically have to be optimistic about five different positions. And then behind them, there's no depth, which that's not how offensive line play. You need depth. Daniel Jones is the kind of quarterback that's kind of like a deer in the headlights when there's pressure. A bad offensive line which, with, in the interior and the edges are both really suspect. I, I feel like to have optimism here requires so much faith, blind faith in the quarterback, the offensive line, and then the skill position staying healthy, and then all that being run by Jason Garrett. I feel like I have to stick my head in the sand to be like, yeah, this will be a consistent, great offense. You're a big fantasy guy. So I'm sure there are a lot of fantasy players listening to this podcast wondering, okay, what does Heifetz think about the return of Saquon Barkley? Oh, Suspect giant offensive line. Barkley coming <sighs> off the torn ACL. Two years ago, Barkley missed a ton of time anyway, but we know he's capable of those monster efforts and those monster performances. Do you think Saquon Barkley this year is a top five fantasy running back? Yes or no? No. I'm not taking Saquon in the first round. Now, let me be clear. This is New York, New York. We're keeping this within the family. Like, I love Saquon. Like, like this is a, like a real conversation within the family. I'm really worried. I'm not, all right. The Giants are taking the responsible path with Saquon. They're not rushing him back. That's bad for fantasy. It's good for real life. I think that the Giants want to sign Saquon to a large contract extension and see him as the future of the franchise. That is probably not great, to be honest, as a Giants fan. I don't love the idea. I, I don't think either of us like the idea. Of at drafting any point in time is a disaster. It doesn't make any concerned. sense, especially, quite frankly, with his injury history recently. Also, I think the thing we all forget, even when Saquon's been great, like most of the highlights are from games that they lost. Like, I think it's really easy to forget that. You know, anytime it's like the Beckham play, anytime yes. I see that Beckham yes. play against the Cowboys, I would get so agitated and so just irate, yeah. Danny. Hearing not all Giant fans, but there's like a quotient of Giant fans. They celebrate that like it's Mario Manningham or David Tyree. Yeah, it's like the Cowboys number one, won that game. your team was like five or six games under 500 when yeah. that play happened. Number two, you lost the damn game. Yeah, the it should not won. be this like moment of jubilation for goodness <laughs> sakes. Come on now. It's so similar. So anyway, to your point, I think what's important to remember for Saquon, and it's weird right now because for all the news, it's kind of like what's going on with him. Nothing's changed with Saquon's recovery. The, the nuts and bolts of it is 
He tore this ACL in week two, so you're like, well, why can't he come back? What happened is it was the ACL, MCL, and meniscus. The MCL delayed the actual surgery. He didn't get surgery till like mid mid October, so it was actually much later. And then the meniscus delayed the recovery, so it's really like he. It's not like a week two injury. It's a lot closer to like a week twelve injury, which is why he's not may not be ready for week one. Even if he plays week one, he's not going to have like this huge workload eventually. I think you're going to see a lot of Corey Clement at first, but even then. I don't know, unless this team's in the playoff race, why would you be force-feeding Saquon in December, like if they want to have him long-term? Week one, you're taking on the Denver Broncos. Yeah, You're a one-point underdog in that game. Let that sink in for a minute, because I thought it was maybe Vegas reacting to Aaron Rodgers' rumors, and they wanted to make sure, all right, if Aaron Rodgers is a Bronco, we can act accordingly. Well, we know it's going to be the Drew Ock or Teddy Bridgewater for Denver. Denver has a terrific defense. Denver has major yeah. quarterback questions, and yet the Giants are a one-point underdog. Is it fair to say, then, if they lose that first game at home, right out of the gate to the Broncos, it could set off this sort of negative spiral that could just torpedo your season? Is that too much of a leap? Yeah, so, that's too much. I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not a Daniel Jones guy. It's an interesting look one. look at that schedule, though, Danny. See, that's my problem. You lose that game schedule. to the Broncos, the first couple of games for the Giants is super, super dicey. Tough. Here's the thing. The Broncos run one of the most complicated defenses in the NFL, which is, again, it is throwing Daniel Jones like right into the fire because I don't think he has processing issues as much as like, I think Daniel Jones can is very smart football player and could break stuff down for you like Monday morning very well. I think the problem is he, he he's not... The read-react, being yes, able to adjust on just, the fly. I, I guess put it this way. I, I look at quarterbacks like basketball players. You need your quarterback to know where everyone is the same way LeBron James knows where everyone is on the floor. If you, LeBron could close his eyes. He can tell you where the other nine guys are. Daniel Jones can't do that with pass rushers, man. And that's the fundamental problem. I, I don't know if this is the skill that you can learn. Maybe it is. I have my doubts. That's tough when Von Miller is the one bearing down on you. It's tough when it's a Vic Fangio defense. I don't know. What do you think, man? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess it's like, uh, I like I Joe Judge a lot. I, I'll, I'll tell you what I think about your team. I like your head coach. I think you have a chance to have a top 12 defense in the league. I yeah. like the giant defense. I think you overpaid for Leonard Williams. But overall, I think your defense played well last year, and I think they will play well again this year. I'm not sold on your quarterback. I'm not sold on your offensive line. And I don't think you're as good as Washington and Dallas. I think when I handicap the NFC East right now, I think the football team is the team to beat. I think they're the most well-rounded team within this division. Dallas has the sexy offense. They have the shiny new toys across the board. Can they stop me and you? I have no idea. But yeah, I think it's a division that's there for the taking. I, I don't see a dominant team. There's no Kansas City there, there, there's no Tampa Bay. There's no Buffalo for get, that matter. Like, that's good news if you're the Giants. It's a gettable division, but I think you're the third best team going in. Here's the point. Right now in the preseason, the offseason, as fans, who are the names you're talking about? There's, you know, Daniel Jones, but like the guys you get excited about. It's Saquon. Kenny Galladay. Galladay. You know, who are the guys you're going to be talking about in week five? It's Matt Pert, the right tackle who's going to be having to go against Chase Young and Montez Sweat in Washington. It's Nick Gates, the center, who I like, and who stood up to Aaron Donald last year, but maybe a little above his britches at, at, at center. It's Kenny Wiggins or Shane Lemieux at right guard. Lemieux's already hurt in the injury. Kenny Wiggins got blasted in a preseason game by the Jets. It's Will Hernandez, who I loved Will Hernandez as a draft pick, has just not met the expectations. It's Andrew Thomas. 
left tackle who I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. The first half of the season is a disaster because of coaching. I believe in him, but it's like you kind of have to be optimistic about all five of those starters. I, I just feel like halfway through the season, we're not going to be talking about Kenny Galladay. It's going to be talking about all those. It's going to the offensive line is going to be like a subway turnstile. Giants playoff team? No, I don't think they are. Are they a third place team? Yeah, I think I, I think the only I think you think Washington, my assessment of the division is fair. Then you think Washington and Dallas are better on paper? They're competing for first, and Eagles and Giants are competing for third. Yeah, but here's the difference, though. I think the Giants are much closer to one and two than they are to four. I think the Eagles are a distant four in this division. I think the Eagles I hope so, but four. the Eagles have some uh, the Eagles the Eagles schedule isn't so bad. Like I I I, I wish. Th- I hope that was true, and I, 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 the only thing that gives me hope is I think Joe Judge has all these guys punching above their weight. I think Joe Judge is gets it's corny, but like I think he makes them a team. But I just look at these pieces, and I'm just really concerned about this offense. I'm hopeful for the defense. Patrick Graham's a great coordinator. I really like the defense, but um, it, it's it's really tough for me to think. Never mind once these offensive linemen start getting hurt. That's the thing. It's like if you think the starters are bad, there's no depth on this team. Who are you picking to win this division? Washington. Uh, I'm you with me Washington. on Washington. All right. I was with We're the house, man. I'm with the house one. Other... I like this. We're getting on board with Fitzmagic, baby. I think that people forget that just be... Like, here's the thing. Going from an average quarterback like Alex Smith to an elite one like Patrick Mahomes is really sexy. But sometimes going from an, a terrible... Well, Alex Smith, like five years ago. Alex Smith post-leg injury is like the worst quarterback in the NFL. Couldn't throw Dwayne Haskins was the second worst quarterback in the NFL. Going uh, I think these, he was worse. I, I'm going to revisit those rankings. Yeah, right. Nobody but, was worse than Dwayne Haskins last year. Whatever you, whatever you think of Fitzpatrick, going from like the worst quarterback situation in the NFL, which Washington had, to average, is just as big of a leap. And you have Terry McLaurin, who's probably going to establish himself as this top guy for Washington. Antonio Gibson, who I love for fantasy this year. The, Washington has like a problem at like left tackle. I don't know what they're going to do there. Otherwise, that team is a Super Bowl caliber. The only question is, can Fitzpat? This is the best defense Fitzpatrick's had probably ever, if not in like ten years. The, the Washington is dangerous. Let's have some fun with some fantasy stuff. Yeah, let's do it. What do you want? Rookie quarterback most likely to make a fantasy impact, not a real life impact. A fantasy impact. Is it sunshine? Is it Justin Fields, who lit up the Dolphins' second team yesterday? Is it the local boy, Zach Wilson, who's going to get 17 games to play without question? Uh, Or is it Trey Lance, or is it Mac Jones? I give you the full board of the rookie quarterbacks. Who will be the most fantasy relevant, Danny Hafitz? It's really easy for me. It's it's Trey Lance or Justin Fields. Now, I like like Trevor Lawrence, too. I I don't think it's Zach Wilson. I'm sorry for all the Jets fans listening. I don't think Zach Wilson's going to have statistically a great year this year. I also don't think Mac Jones at all. And fantasy, fantasy is kind of dumb in that quarterbacks now, you want quarterbacks who can run, which is kind of stupid. But that's how fantasy scoring works because just rushing yards are literally worth more than passing yards. And rushing touchdowns are worth more than passing touchdowns. So will you only look at quarterbacks that can be dual threats as fantasy quarterbacks? Because that's kind of the way I look at it. Unless you're going to end up with like, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers, who still gets his fair share of rushing yards from time to time. I'm all in on the Kyler Murray or the Josh Allen or that sort of prototype of quarterback because otherwise you're losing out on maybe four, five, six points a week. 100%. That's how it works now. Josh Allen, like best quarterback last year. He's the goal line back for Buffalo. Before that was Lamar Jackson, who is, you know, obviously he runs all the time, unless it's Mahomes. And even then Mahomes sneakily runs in a lot of touchdowns. You, 
like guys like a Matt Stafford or a Tom Brady or Rodgers still have a lot of value. But when you're talking about trying to pick a, a quarterback in fantasy, you want upside with your second quarterback. So what I like doing this year is I like either, you, you know, take one of the top guys if you want, like a Josh Allen or something. But I kind of like waiting, getting the Matt Staffords, the Tom Brady's, the Ryan Tannehill's, even Jalen Hurts if you're a believer in the Eagles. If you don't want Eagles in your fantasy team, I understand. And then you pair them with a second quarterback. Those rookie dudes, Trey Lance or Justin Fields, you can take your pick. I think both of them are going to end up being the starter sooner rather than later. Probably neither in week one, but I think sooner than later. And both of them are just, they have the ability to maybe be a top four, top five quarterback every week. Just be, I mean, did you see Justin Fields take off the other day? That's the nice part of preseason where you're like, he is so fast. And then Trey Lance, that Niners system, man, the, the Niners offense is so easy for a quarterback to succeed in. I think that Fields or Lance, my preference is probably Fields, but honestly, they're neck and neck. Either of those guys, stick them on your bench, wait for them to become the starter, and you'll have so much upside at that quarterback spot. It's unbelievable. Who is the quarterback that you have circled that can maybe make the Josh Allen type of leap? I know that's asking a lot, but if there's going to be a guy who kind of takes their game to the next level this year, who do you have that be? There is not one. I, the Josh oh, Allen leap has never been okay. done. I, I think that Trevor Lawrence might just be a lot better than people think immediately. I, I think that he might make the leap like as a rookie. Are you in <laughs> on Kyler Murray? No, I don't believe in Cliff. I like Kyler. Really? I, don't, I don't think Cliff. I'm not. A, I'm not in on Cliff. I mean, I'm uh, not a Cliff Kingsbury fan for overall big picture stuff. I think as far as regular season games and putting up fantasy points, I think Kyler Murray is going to put up fantasy points. Here's the problem with Kyler. Kyler was on pace to have the best fantasy football season for any quarterback ever last year. Halfway through, hurt his shoulder. But the real problem was that he had ten rushing touchdowns in like the first nine games or something. Now he, now he got hurt, and he's like actively saying, I don't want to run as much. If I'm running as much, it's, it's a problem. They were leaning on the run, on Kyler scrambling and running because the offense wasn't really creative enough, to be honest. Like, let's be honest here. Like, the offense was not designed well enough, and so Kyler was just kind of making shit happen. I think Kyler saw a little bit into his football mortality last year because I think it was the first time in his life he couldn't do what he wanted to do. You got to remember, Kyler Murray might be the best high school quarterback in the history of Texas. Kyler Murray went like 45 and 0 in Texas with three championships at like 5A. He's never failed before until like really the NFL. And him having that shoulder injury, I think, convinced him he's not going to run as much. If Kyler Murray's not running as much, he's not as good of a quarterback. So I think that taking him second, I actually kind of don't love it. I'd rather have Lamar or Josh Allen. Give me a man crush at running back and at wide receiver that everybody who is listening to this podcast right now should be all over in their respective fantasy drafts. Oh, man. That, I love, I'll give you two running backs. Both two like, running backs. That's fair. And you can give me two receivers, too. I'm okay with that. So You can uh, share the wealth a little bit. The running back, it's really easy for me. One is the Steelers. It's Najee Harris. The, 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 he's the first, he's the rookie. The Steelers took him in the first round. I think this kid's going to be top three in the NFL in touches this year. Not worried about the Steelers offensive line at all. I am, but the reality is that there's a certain he's point where... He's just going to get too much volume. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't like the Steelers actually this season. I think they have a losing record for the under. first time. I'm in hammering their under. I, I think, think there's it, a good chance they finish in last place for yeah, what it's worth. I think this is the first losing season of Mike Tomlin's career. The problem is... The, well, the point is with fantasy, it doesn't matter because if Najee Harris is the three down back... There's a certain amount of touches you get where the quality of them doesn't matter. Najee Harris is that. Mike Tomlin's one of like two or three guys in the NFL left that are like, no, I want one guy on the field all the time. That's Najee Harris. He's uh, That's all you need to know. The other one's, in, I hate to say it, Antonio Gibson with Washington. Let's be real. 
Giants fans, you don't like to have Eagles or Cowboys on your fantasy team. No one cares about Washington. There's not really bad blood in modern times. Antonio Gibson is kind of checks every box you want in an unbelievable breakout season. I'm not saying he's Christian McCaffrey from a few years ago. Like, don't quote me on that. But he's a second year back. He has an unbelievable capacity for receiving. Like, this is a guy who was basically a receiver in college. He had like 34 carries at Memphis. So I went into last year thinking he was going to get the third down work. Guess what? He got the first and second down work. He had more carries in like his first two or three games in the NFL than he did in his entire college career at Memphis. This is a guy who could pretty easily double his catches in his second year. He had like 36 last year. Can pretty easily get to 72. That's And then not to mention that Washington loves him. The defense is really good. They should be running the ball in the second half a lot. Gibson is the guy. Gibson and Harris together. If you can get one of them in the second round, get them in your auction drafts, whatever. I think they can kind of, those are the guys that deliver you titles. All right, you're in on Najee Harris. You're in on Gibson. At wide receiver, though, I'm giving you one. I could give you two. If you have two you want to share, you could share two. But you want a top half of the draft guy or yeah, the second I want, half I want of the draft? I want a little diversity. Guy. Yeah, I don't want like the don't don't bore me here. Don't give me the guys who are top three on your big board. I, I like a little spreading of the wealth. You know that. All right. Let me um I'm not gonna plug any cowboys. I was gonna say Michael Gallup, but I'm not I doing mean, you can plug cowboys. No, I don't Listen, want it. Michael, Michael Gallup. If it helps me win a fantasy draft, you know I don't care. It's well, you're a Dolphins fan, though. It's, I, it's I would pick Patriots and I would pick Bills. I'll, I'll it's throw strictly the, business, bro. I'll just say Michael Gallup is by far the most underrated guy, I think, because he's basically going in the 80s. And this is a guy that, I mean, if, especially if Mark Cooper misses any time, Michael Gallup is, is almost as good as CeeDee Lamb. The other guy, this is a really weird one. I'm going to throw it out. Marvin Jones for the Jaguars. This is the guy who was in Detroit. Daryl Bevel, who was with the, with the Lions, is now the coordinator for the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence... I think it's going to be pretty good for the Jaguars out of the gate. Marvin Jones was basically brought in by this coaching staff because they don't know if they can trust DJ Chark as a receiver, and they don't know what they're going to get out of LaVisca Chenault, who's only 22 years old. You can't trust 22-year-olds with anything. Like, and then DJ Chark, Urban Meyer sort of called him out. I think there's a chance that Marvin Jones just outright leads the Jaguars in like every receiving category. It's on the table. He's being drafted like outside the top 130 picks. This is a guy that's available for borderline free. I think he might just be the go-to guy for Trevor Lawrence in the red zone and all these spots. And he's like, there's no risk. I like that. All reliable. Somebody who's been on way too many of my fantasy teams over the years. Yeah. And now I can circle back, see it come full circle. And maybe I get him late. And he has a monster, monster year in Jacksonville. So if he does, Danny Heifetz, I'll be treating you to a couple <laughs> of cocktails, not just Thursday when we're at the Yankee game, but, you know, a couple of months down the road. and. Final one before we say goodbye. Hit me. Are you back in fully with the 2021 New York Yankees? Yes, I'm such a sucker. You I called it. it. You called it. I, mean, I, 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 I said 24 hours ago you were going to get suckered back Every in. Every time I much. think I'm out, much. they pull me back. No, you're right because the thing you, you, you've hit is that every devastating loss, and there's been... I don't know, Baker's dozen of them this year. Impossible to count. Over a dozen. More than at least. More than any season I think I can ever think of. Maybe in any I, I can't remember so many. But you, the point I guess my question for you is sometimes we get so caught up in the moment. And that this moment right now, Yankees fans have completely lost, including me, lost faith in this bullpen. Basically, every pitcher individually has had a two-week stretch where they have just lost seemingly the ability to throw the ball. Do you think a month from now? 
Is it possible that we're saying, wow, like the bullpen completely rebounded. Look, this is a great bullpen again. And that we're going to talk ourselves in a World Series run. Or is there just no way? Uh, I think we can sucker ourselves back into thinking this bullpen can get big outs. But it won't. But I think we have (laughs) to be real with the fact that this might just be the norm for the Yankee bullpen in 2021. And that just when they're lulling you, maybe in August and September, those meltdowns could be waiting down the road. So I'm not willing to say that I'm fully back on board with the Yankee bullpen, but I am on board with the fact that this is a team that has shown resiliency every step along the way. And I'm not a big fan of this manager. And I think he has many warts and I think he has many shortcomings, but I do think you have to give him credit for the fact that this team is not mailed it in on. I think no. you gotta give him credit for that. I was going to say, you've been hard on him, but I have to, I have to say there is something incredible at any sport to have those heartbreaking losses. And then as you say, then they rip off like, like six or seven games. And so I'm not going to rip the Yankees for the deadline because, look, getting Gallo and Rizzo, like, that's obvious. The left-handed bats, that's what everyone wanted. But, like, I look at, like, Kendall Graveman. The Astros nabbed Kendall, uh, Kendall Graveman from the Mariners. It's a perfect eighth-inning setup guy. He has, like, a .7 ERA. He just, like, man, like, that, that guy could close for us right now. Well, listen, Heifetz, I believe in their heart of hearts, they thought their bullpen number one was good enough. And think about the guy they acquired from Pittsburgh and Clay Holmes. He was their Garrett Whitlock before he got COVID. They yeah. picked him up off the scrappy. He pitched great for two weeks. He goes down with COVID. Or as Garrett Cole phrased it the other day. The, the Yankee, Yankee variant? I, that was fabulous. I mean, I, I don't know if people were offended by that, but I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And, and one last note. Why is Cole starting Monday? I, I don't want to hear this nonsense. He's your best pitcher. You start him when he's ready. You got two gigantic games with the Red Sox. There's seven inning games. Give Cole one of those seven inning games. I don't know. That's a good point. I mean, especially because then the last time he went against the Red Sox, didn't he go nine innings? Uh, no, no. He pitched in Boston. Oh, no, there's the Astros. He went nine innings. Five innings. But then pitched a range-shortened game where he went six. Six innings of one run. The Astro game was that oh, the Astro game he went the nine innings. 128 pitches, 130 pitches, whatever the hell it was. All right, so do you think the Yankees make the playoffs? I waver on this day in and day out. Uh, right now, right now it is, it's 9.36 on Sunday night. Do you think the Yankees make the playoffs? I do. Okay, well, I'll check in with you again when we go to the game I on do. Thursday. But I'm going to admit too. this to the New York, New York audience. I have been like a roller coaster in, out, out, in, in, out. So my answer will probably change another 10 times before the end of this year. If Just your answer wasn't changing, you wouldn't have been paying attention. Hey, that's why we do what you do. You know, that's why you do what you do. That's why we do what we do. That's Danny Heifetz. Uh, NFL, what is it? Ringer, Ringer NFL? NFL? Ringer Fantasy Football Show. If you want to listen to the pod, the f- check out fantasyfootball.theringer.com. We have a draft guide with 200 rankings, 200 player profiles to put our heart and souls in it. it I will be listening. Like- I will be listening before my fantasy dress. And check out fantasyfootball.theringer.com. It looks different than any of the draft guides you're going to find everywhere. You can check it out on your phone. It looks completely different than anywhere else you're going to find it. Uh, and then also the Ringer NFL show, a lot of NFL previews there. I think so. it's fantastic, by the way, that like three times throughout this podcast, I've called it the NFL Ringer show. So I, I might uh, just stick with that. I know Bill and the folks over there probably aren't going to be happy with me but you know what uh what can i say yeah well, it's what yankees I red sox week they're not gonna be happy with you no well listen i was gonna say i'm gonna have a lot of enemies this week hopefully hi fits hopefully we're pissing a lot of people off by thursday around I I don't know, so. one o'clock in the afternoon okay <laughs> later buddy good stuff right, okay peace, JJ. this episode is brought to you by thomas's 
Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash! Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Always good hearing Danny Heifetz's voice. He surprised me yesterday in the Spotify green room, and now, as a token of my appreciation, I'm just going to pester him with fantasy questions for like three and a half hours when we're at the uh, Yankee twin game on Thursday night. And you can't go nuts with these preseason games. I know everybody's going to go nuts with Justin Fields. Remember, he's going up against second and third string guys. He may have a terrific year. He may be the goods. He may be the truth. It's not going to be because of preseason football. Never, ever, ever make the mistake of overreacting to what you see in preseason football and think, That's like the determining factor of what you're going to see throughout the year. Be very, very careful with that. Very, very careful. Now, saw this from Luis Rojas after the game, before we get to voicemails. And it just stumbled upon my timeline right now, so I feel obligated to address it. Carlos Carrasco got an opportunity to hit. After giving up six runs, after you knew full well you were taking him out of the game in the bottom half of the second inning. He got a chance to hit. He's out of the game. The Mets don't use all of their pinch hitters because the game is out of reach anyway. And basically, the logic is we have four hitters. We can't be doing that. What kind of nonsense is that? It's 6 nothing. You worry about later in the game, later in the game. If it means you get back in the game, great. Can't assume that. There's an opportunity for you to score a couple runs. No one's going to kill you, Luis Rojas, if you run out of pinch hitters. Because you know what your defense is going to be? Hey, guess what? We were then buried. I had to get us back in the game. You knew you were taking Carrasco out. Sent up a pinch hitter. So I didn't like that at all. And I thought that was faulty, lousy, quite frankly, logic from the Met manager. And I think the Mets just left another runner or two on base. They're at bats with runners in scoring position this weekend. And really, all year for that matter. Absolutely embarrassing. Voicemail time. In case you're figuring out how to do this. Very simple. 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. A reminder, voicemails, get them my way for Tuesday and Wednesday with all our trivia stuff, the Yankee Red Sox reaction. And remember, Spotify Green Room, download the app, follow me on Spotify Green Room, and we'll be live with calls and all sorts of craziness from Yankee Stadium in between games. Voicemail time. Sorority, who's leading it off? Hey, John. This is us, Stuart from Brooklyn. Ah, man, I am, I am fucking dying here. You know, I'm, I'm watching the Mets 
and they, they, they're down nine to two. They are fucking dead in the water, man. I mean, I mean, this, it's an over 10 with runners in scoring position. It sounds like fucking Dodger Stadium out there. And the, the Dodgers had defensive breakdowns in the first few innings. And especially when VR and Reed was, was safe, they set up for the bases loaded. And, and they, and the Mets fucked it up. And, and were you shocked? I mean, I'm, I'm just so fucking tired of, of this, of this shit. I mean, Will Smith is becoming the new fucking Mets killer. And, and the, uh, and, and Saturday, I was in, I was really aggravated in a shitty mood. Thomas Nito had a horrible at that. It should be his job to know how to fucking bunt. And, and the more you, you play him, the more he's going to become exposed. I mean, he's fine, but, but not great. And, and then, and, and then in the bottom of the 10th, they had, they had the double and, and Belliger, uh, bunting. What happened to guarding the lines? Doesn't the, uh, the coach, the, uh, the coaching staff tell the players that? I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm just, just so fucking tired of this. I mean, and, and if the Mets finish with a losing record here, with a, uh, a losing record, because I, I don't see how they're surviving this, uh, road trip. Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta let Rojas go. And, and John, Stevie Cohen originally implied that he had a three to five year plan in place. You know, we have the young prospects, but I, I just don't see where, where this is fucking going. I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, I don't know what to, what to, what to hope for. Where's the hope? It is amazing, Stuart, how this year has spiraled out of control from a Mets standpoint. Now, you got to understand a couple of things. They don't have Jacob DeGrom. They haven't had Francisco Lindor. So we got to acknowledge that. We got to be real about that. But at the same time, the Mets are better than this. They're a much better team than the one we've seen over the last six weeks of this year. And whether it's the extra inning, coulda, shoulda, wouldas on Friday and Saturday night. Taiwan Walker's got a no-hitter through six innings. You can't find a way to win that game. You can't get the big hit either night in extra innings. Will Smith is kicking your ass. It sounds like Dodgers Stadium, and you leave a boatload of runners on base. It's a losing brand of baseball across the board. There's no urgency, none whatsoever. The team cannot score runs, and they're getting outclassed. I mean, this weekend, even though a couple of the games were close, the Dodgers are just a vastly superior baseball team. They're better across the board. and. Here's the harsh reality for the Mets. Think about the next week. At San Francisco, four games at Dodgers Stadium against the Dodgers, and then the Giants back at City Field. That is the sort of stretch where if the Mets go, what do they got? Three with the Giants, they got four with the Dodgers, and then I want to say either three or four with the Giants, whatever that stretch may be. They go four under, five under. Braves or Phillies are hot. You don't even need both of them to be hot. You need one of them to be hot. Then all of a sudden, the two-and-a-half game deficit turns to six games, and you're basically going into the month of September with your dead Narada. You're dead to rights. That's the position, and that's the predicament that the bad July and now this stretch of August has put you in. Dire straits. So, yeah, I understand your feeling about you don't expect a big week out on the West Coast against the two best teams in the National League. 
Uh, I can understand your lack of confidence. Let's put it that way. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. This is Casey from Elmhurst. Uh, I feel like I need to call to call out something that the Mets are doing right now that I think is an absolute disgrace, and it's not the way to treat your franchise. Forget the fact that they're playing like garbage right now. That's not the point. I just got my email for my renewal for season tickets for next year and possible postseason tickets for this year. Now, the postseason probably won't happen, but that's neither here nor there. If I do not renew my season tickets for next year by a certain date, the price of my 2021 postseason ticket goes up 50%. 50%. That is not the way to treat your fan base. What if for some reason next year I just can't do season tickets for whatever reason? I'm going to get penalized for not showing up to the ballpark next year for the money I've already spent this year in hopes of reaching the postseason and getting a decent deal. It's not right. And I think they should be absolutely ashamed of themselves for the way that they're handling this. I just felt that that needs to be called out. And I hope it gets a little bit of buzz because it's wrong. Thanks, JJ. Really appreciate it. I love the pod. And who knows? Maybe the Mets will go on a run. All right. Yeah, I don't like hearing that. Now, I'd have to go through my years of being a Yankee season ticket holder and try to see and try to figure out if the Yankees have ever tried to pull a fast one on me when it comes to that sort of stuff. I would bet no. Now, remember, I'm not a full season ticket holder. So I think I have 15 games or 12 games or something along those lines. I don't know and I can't speak on behalf of these teams or fan bases to this being a common practice that you see throughout baseball or throughout sports. I honestly don't know. It's a really bad look, though. And it's going to make it an even worse look when you're playing the way the Mets are playing because it kind of comes across as petty. Now, I can't say that the Mets are the only ones doing this stuff. Because, again, with COVID and everything that we've gone through over the last year, these teams might be in a position where this is something they have to do. I don't know. Hearing that, though, doesn't sit well with me. Full disclosure. And I I just went through, for a laugh, the schedule for the Mets. Three games in San Francisco. I was right, actually. I didn't know if they put a fourth game with the Giants. They did not. Three at the Giants. Four at the Dodgers. Three home against the Giants. So they still have 10 games left. 10 with the two best teams in the National League. Seven of those games are on the road. At best, what do we think the Mets are doing? Five and five? The Mets go five and five in that stretch. They played well. They played well. They go four and six. And you got the Braves or the Phillies getting hot. And they go, I don't know, seven and three? Or heaven forbid, eight and two? They could go run and hide in the National League East. Would you put your money right here and right now on the Mets being a playoff team? Absolutely not. How could I say that with confidence? 
In fact, if I were to proclaim and bang on a table right here and right now, the Mets are going to the playoffs, I'd get laughed at. I'd get mocked. So I know how that rolls. I know how that sort of thing operates. There's still a lot of baseball left. And I need to see somebody in this division go run and hide. And the team I think that's most capable of doing it is the Atlanta Braves. And I think the Mets are going to rule live the day. They let the Braves hang around. The Braves could have been finished this year with the amount of brutal losses they had, the loss of Ronald Acuna. They could have been buried. They weren't. They hung in. Now they're feasting on some of the underbelly and the soft portion of their schedule. And the Mets got to deal with the Giants and the Dodgers. Very, very, very problematic. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Eric down in Florida. Um, great win today. But I know you and everyone else had to get that feeling watching Lukey in the uh, bottom of the ninth. Like, here we fucking go again. Putting too many people on base, making these games interesting. It just highlights the point that outside of Loisaga, this bullpen is very suspect, very questionable with really very – really no one besides him that I would uh, feel good – on the mound in a big situation. So, huge win. Uh, hopefully, we can take care of the Angels tomorrow. But uh, the big series coming up against Boston and looking down the schedule, a lot of big games against Oakland, Toronto, Boston, and Tampa again coming up. Can't play meaningful baseball in August, JJ. Can't ask for much more. See ya. Keep it up. Insane baseball in August and September. Every day is like a playoff game for the Yankees. And that's why you were on pins and needles Thursday in the cornfield. That's why you were basically dealing with a meltdown from yours truly if the Yankees had ended up losing that game on Saturday night. And we were getting to that point on Sunday. Litke can't do the job. Wandy Peralta's got to bail him out. The Yankee bullpen is a hot mess. Outside of Jonathan Loisaga, who is right now number one when you're talking about trust and trust factor, Outside of Loisaga, who do you feel good about? Britton is asking out of the ninth inning. I can't trust him, not in a million years. Litke has been bad now for about a month and a half. Don't let the ERA fool you. The inherited runners, that tells the story. Green, anytime you put him in a late-game situation, he gives up a big home run. You trust Ridings? You trust Peralta? Holmes when he comes back? I don't know where those answers are coming from. And the Yankees need to find them quickly because it's been a major Achilles heel from what was supposed to be a so-called strength. I thought going into this year, Yankee bullpen was going to be awesome. And for the first two months of the year, I was right about that. A lot was going wrong for the Yankees, but their bullpen looked really, really good. From June on, that has been... A totally, totally different story and a totally different tale. The Yankees have leads and you don't feel good about anybody in the bullpen outside of lasagna. That's real talk. So it doesn't matter what the lead may be. Comfortable, not so comfortable. I'm on the edge of my seat. That bullpen comes in in the game. I'm on the edge of my seat. Two to go. Who do we got? What up, Jay? Steven, Brooklyn. So Chad Green just hung that curveball that was hit to the moon. And you can see that coming from a mile away. Bottom nine, top of the lineup coming up. I mean, you can see that lead being blown from a mile away. But my question is, 
This Yankee team, every game is a one-run game, a two-run game. Could they score a couple of runs? Could they have a three, four, five-run lead for once? I mean, my God, how many games in one-run games, two-run games? Every game. Every game. And then we got Zach Britton before the game telling the manager, hey, uh, I shouldn't close. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah, you're already 6.32. No kidding you shouldn't close. I mean, my God. You think Boone or Mendy, the bench coach, could have realized this, you know, the other night? I mean, please. I mean, these guys are just, the bullpen-wise, you know, there's always been a strength of this team. But Chapman, Britton, Green, all season long, very frustrating and blown save after blown save, crushing loss after crushing loss. Hard to watch and hard not to see it coming. So let's see if they get off the mat here. But this brutal, brutal stuff. Thanks, Jake. Well, Steve, the amazing thing about the Yankees, they're finding ways to get off that mat. And actually, you got to give the manager credit. I've been very harsh on Aaron Boone. I've been very critical of Aaron Boone. There are times he makes decisions that drive me to drink, full disclosure. But I have to commend him for the fact that this team has had about 10 zillion bad losses this year. And it seems like after every single bad loss, they get off the mat and they find a way to respond. I have to admire that. And you nailed something that's very important. Can the Yankees have a couple of laughers for everybody's sanity? You are a thousand percent right. It feels like every single night they are playing games one way or another that are coming down to the nitty gritty, that are coming down to the wire. Heart attack city. And the blood pressure is only going to increase for this guy as this season progresses. This is going to be a very stressful week. Angels Monday, okay. Twins over the weekend, okay. Yankees playing period now is stressful. But a doubleheader Tuesday with the Red Sox and then Wednesday. And I'm going to Yankee Stadium way too much this week. I'm going for both games in the doubleheader on Tuesday. I'm going with my sister on Wednesday. I'm going with high fits on Thursday. It's like Yankee week for years truly. Hopefully there's some good juju coming your way. And a couple of easy, comfortable wins would be just what the doctor ordered. Get a couple of bats back in that lineup. Rizzo, Sanchez, just to name a few. And maybe you could start winning some games in a margin victory. One could only help. Last, but certainly not least, who's on the horn? What's up, JJ? It's Lucas from Stanford. You putting Julius Randle over James Harden in your greatest New York athletes list? I mean, it's disgraceful. I mean, I'd like to just give you a, the benefit of the doubt and just say that's all, that's your mixed bias and that, if that makes you feel better, that's fine. But did you watch Julius Randle in the playoffs? He was a debacle. He was a disaster. The Knicks are probably moving on to the conference semifinals, and they may even keep the stickers of Julius Randle. Just, I don't know. It shows up. James Harden was more effective on one leg against the Bucks than Randle was in the entire playoffs. Yeah, they had one good season. They celebrated like they won the championship after winning one playoff game against the Hawks. But give me a break. Julius Randle is on the same freaking stratosphere. The same universe, the same galaxy as James Harden. James Harden is one of the greatest players of this generation. Granted, he doesn't have a title, but he is a superstar. He's transformed that next team. He is the glue that keeps them together. And Julius Randle over James Harden, my God, can you think of a single NBA general manager that would want Julius Randle on their team over James Harden? And what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, I respect your opinion. I think you're great and you're an unbelievable what you do, but man, Julius Randle over James Harden, man, that is a, uh, that is one that will stick in my mind for, uh, for, for probably the rest of time. Lewis clearly did not listen to our rankings a couple of days ago. Not once. Let me make this clear. Not once did I make the argument 
that Julius Randle is a better basketball player than James Harden and Kyrie Irving. Lewis, do yourself a favor. Because of this on-demand content world that we live in, you could go back and re-listen whenever you want at your leisure. Find me the bit of audio that says J.J. thinks James Harden is not as good as Julius Randle or that Kyrie Irving is not as good as Julius Randle. If you listen to our rankings, there were a couple of things in play here. Number one, I wanted to diversify the top five. I told everybody listening, I was not stacking teams. That wasn't happening. So for our top four, yeah, I wanted to spread the wealth. That's number one. Number two, durability came into play. Now, DeGrom, I know, and Durant, not great. They're that good. They're that special. And DeGrom's been doing it since 2014 here. That matters. Harden missed a ton of games. Irving missed a ton of games. Nobody is suggesting that either one of those guys is below Julius Randle. I'm well aware of that. But pay attention to the criteria before you're going to roast me on the list. Because I specified such things when we went over our top 15. Now, our top 15 took a whole lot of shit over the weekend. And I'm a big boy. I can handle that. Unfortunately, you have folks who didn't listen to the podcast who basically want to chime in with a take like that. They don't listen. That's their loss. They should catch up on what they missed. The other big critique that I heard from a whole lot of people, and it's like the very vocal hockey New York fan did not like where I had my hockey guys on the list. Thought Panarin was too low. They thought Barzi was too low. And they thought Fox should have been, should have been on the list. You were never getting three hockey guys on this list. I mean, let, let's call it like it is. You were not getting three hockey guys on this list. That's fine. That's okay. You weren't getting three hockey guys on the list. Should I have Panarin maybe a spot or two higher? You can make that argument. You want to tell me that Barzi could have been ahead of R.J. Barrett? You could make that argument. You could. And I'll let you do it. You weren't getting three hockey guys on the list. Those were the two big critiques. And a couple of Yankee fans were mad at me that I had Pete Alonso ahead of Garrett Cole. But again, I specified why. The idea that Alonzo goes out and plays every day, I took that into account. And the fact that he has an extra year of kind of eligibility in New York compared to Garrett Cole. Next year, there might be changes. You never know. We can take this list, jumble it. Maybe DeGrom and Durant are one, two, and they're reversed. Who the hell knows? But the two big critiques, the Net fan was pissed off. The hockey fan was pissed off. That was my general takeaway from the weekend. And I had some who were upset about uh, Mekhi Becton making the list. But again, eh, I want to get a jet on there. We tried to represent every single New York team. We couldn't get a devil. I'm sorry. The devil fans, maybe Jackie's next year can take care of that. But I couldn't get a devil on the list. Had an Islander on the list. Had a Ranger on the list. Had a couple NBA guys on the list. Had a couple baseball guys. And the football was tough. (laughs) it kind of speaks to where we're at with New York football going into this 2021 season. Saquon barely made the top 10. Was probably lucky to be in the top 10. And Becton was basically the last guy I put on the list because I needed a Jet. Some Jet fans wanted Quinn Williams. You didn't get him. 
Did I hold Quinn Williams' first year maybe against him? I might have. Is it possible Lawson ends up being the guy for the Jets? Or Elijah Moore, as Sean Fennessy tweeted out on Saturday? Potentially. But on a top 15 list, certainly got a whole lot of attention. Beauty in the eyes of the beholder, my friends. My list. My criteria. Simple as that. Now, if you were betting on preseason football this weekend, God bless you. You know, I was thinking about that watching some of these preseason games. I was like, there are actually people betting on this. And I love betting on the NFL. I can't stress that enough. Sunday week one, I will have at least five plays. I might have 10 plays for all we know. I might be a kid in a candy store. I love betting the primetime games. Am I a little sick in the head that I will bet every single primetime game? Yes. It's a rarity if I don't. It's just what we do. The preseason, though, oh, boy. I mean, you're sweating out preseason overs and unders and point spreads when you got guys, half the team is going to be cut and you're relying on them for your bottom line. God bless. God bless. Now, Jeff Money, we'll see how his weekend treated him and we'll see what's on the card come Monday. I know he had the Atlanta Braves on Sunday. So that was a win and that was a cover. Money, take it away. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for Monday the 16th. I got one play. I'm going to go with the Oakland Athletics minus the 110 over the White Sox. It'll be Montes versus Keiko. Uh, Montes is 1-0 with a 1.89 ERA his last three outings against Keiko. 0-2 with a 5.71 ERA his last three outings. Again, JJ, I'm going to take the Oakland, Oakland Athletics for tomorrow minus the 110. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. I like that, Jeff Money, because to me, Oakland has a lineup that is tailor-made to go and attack a lefty starter, a soft toss and lefty starter like Dallas Geichel. And the Oakland A's, if you look historically at the way they play in the second half of these years, they're very, very good in the second half. Now, Texas actually helped out the Yankees. Helped them out. That could have been a total nightmare where, you know, the A's are taking on the Rangers and they get fat and they win a bunch of games. Didn't happen this weekend. Texas took care of business on Sunday. Texas took care of business on Friday. You signed for that and then some when you got a team that's ahead of you in the wild card standings playing a team that's, what, 30-something games under 500? And they win you a couple of games? Sign on the dotted line. You got no cooperation and no help from the Orioles. You got a little help from the Rangers. So we know Jeff Money's on the Oakland A's. We have another beaker who wants to get involved in the proceedings. Speakers are always welcome on New York, New York. They're always welcome with me. They're a part of the family. So what do we got? Welcome. What's up, JJ? This is Pete and Minnesink. I'm no Jeff Money, but I got a baseball lock for you and your listeners for Monday, August 16th. Monday is the feast day of St. Rocco. My friend Rocky was born this day, and he bets on the Colorado, Colorado Rockies to win every year on, on his birthday. Well, the Rockies have won on St. Rocco's Feast Day nine years in a row. It's the biggest lock in sports. So Rudy can look it up if he wants. There are some things in the universe that you just can't explain, but you just have to go with. The Rockies cannot lose on St. Rocco's Feast Day. God even tried to intervene a few years ago and rain them out on St. Rocco's Feast Day. And the Rockies went ahead and swept the doubleheader the next day. And you know that's not easy to do. So my pick for Monday night, is the Rockies at home against the Padres. They should be a minus 500 favorite, but they will somehow be an underdog. Take the value and go with the Rockies. 
All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. I love it. Paying tribute to our old pal, Jeff Money, and giving us a little bit of a tale here. St. Rocco's Day, Colorado Rockies. Now, can I make much sense of the Rockies beating the Padres on Monday evening? No. The Padres are a much better team. Is that line a little too low at only minus 135? Yeah, it is probably a little too low. And Saruti did a little homework and a little research for us. Nine straight wins for the Colorado Rockies on St. Rocco's Day. This might be a family play for all of New York, New York, even though it doesn't make much sense. I've learned in life sometimes, you just got to go with it. I'm going to trust our dude. And on St. Rocco's Day, I'm going to back the Colorado Rockies. Let's have a little fun. Let's roll the dice. That's how I'll be screaming in Vegas next week at the Win Encore, baby. Let's roll the dice. Oh, yeah. We got a loaded, loaded week for you. On Tuesday, we're back with some trivia. I forgot what our nickname is already. Let's see if I can remember it. Let's see if I can remember what our nickname is. Trivia Q&A with JJ. I didn't even look it up, Sir Rudy. How about that? Trivia Q&A with JJ. We will have that for you Tuesday into Wednesday. All the reaction from the Yankee double dip against the Red Sox. Remember, going to be at Yankee Stadium. And we got content galore. We got a live green room right after game one of the doubleheader. So as soon as the game goes final, within five minutes of that last out, hop on Spotify green room, follow my account, John Jastrzemski. We'll be rocking and rolling for 45 minutes to an hour, give or take. Calls galore. Then we'll be back after Yankees-Red Sox game two, after Mets-Giants late night, and we'll have you covered for a Wednesday. Fellas, outstanding job. Looking forward to a little trivia Q&A with the big fella. JJ, signing off. Be good, everybody.